When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick again. Joining me today, uh, old friend of the show, Jim Zipcode. Jim, how you doing, buddy? Great, Ken. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, always a pleasure to have you on, and uh, thanks for asking. I'm doing fine. Uh, well, we're uh, we're heading into football season. We're in that nice stretch where we can talk about a lot of these hot stove topics. And one of the ones that seems to come up over and over again during the offseason is the Ravens' run-pass balance. You know, that there's the Ravens are not passing enough specifically. We've seen evidence that the Ravens really believe this is true with the amount of receiving talent they've acquired over this offseason. Yeah. And uh, I would also add in like the beefing up of pass protection and adding the two wide receiver coaches. Like there's certainly been an emphasis on uh, on improving that aspect. Yeah, great point is that is that it, it's not just the number of receivers where the Ravens, for the first time that I can recall, have really one more quality, young receiver, whatever you want to call it, than they really have spots. And I'm including Sammy Watkins in that group. Uh, and, and Yeah, they usually they break camp with like five or six guys, right? And yeah. so just the last three drafts, we've got two from each draft and we've got Sammy Watkins. And that's that's either one or two more than they can usually find a spot for in the season opening roster when they break camp. Yeah, it's a great point. They may have a positional shift this year because they had six to make five at, at outside linebacker last year. And it, it was amazing. They all held up in terms of health the whole year and they were activating five per game. Uh, that, that really uh, that may be a position where they dropped to five to make four. Um, and and the receivers are a position where they where they maybe take one other one extra guy from camp, or maybe as a lot of people think somebody somebody gets traded, or uh, develops a hangnail and goes to uh, to IR. That could be too. This they there are some possibilities, I suppose, for that. And if someone's a little bit hurt, they might suddenly get a lot hurt. Now they remember this year or, or any year they have to start the season on the roster 
Okay. They have to go to IR in order to be available for later in the year. So that's that'll be a consideration on how they do that. The Ravens have had a crafty method of usually putting one of their special teams aces on that did not make the team. And then they miraculously resign him three days later. Co-cap, uh, for example. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So they, they could probably find a way to do it if they really want to. But you're right. This is kind of the first year that I can remember that that's really been a consideration where they're going to want to hold on to you know, guys who are entering their third year who were recently drafted, their second year who were recently drafted, plus Watkins. I mean, uh, it's, it's more of a problem. I, mean, I guess the kind of problem that they want to have, but more of a problem than it's ever been. Yeah, sure, sure is. And you, you mentioned the other things is, you know, going out and getting the coaching that they did really does show that they want to take a step forward in that area of the game that that, it, that, that they need to. And Zeitler, uh, you know, a, a, a terrific pass blocker, obviously Cleveland, a guy who was a good uh, pass blocker at the college level, more so even than a run blocker, though I think he's got all the talent to lead the Ravens run game as a as a pulling guard. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big upgrade for this passing game. I think that if you look back uh, at the last three playoff exits, so you think about Chargers after the 2018 season, Tennessee after 19 last season. I think you see the Ravens interior O-line getting bullied and dominated and giving up pressures and quick pressures. And uh, this is a group of guys who, if they can do nothing else, they can bloody well anchor against guys trying to shove the pocket into Lamar's face. I mean, no one's pushing Cleveland backward, I wouldn't think. Yeah, he's he's a huge human being, that's for sure. Zeitler has a terrific anchor as well. Bozeman at center should be better off than he was at left guard. Yeah, uh, that was a big weakness for Bozeman. Was well, stunting was a problem because he didn't have the he didn't have the quickest lateral movement. But the other thing that was a problem is when he was up against a dominating three tech. That was a, that was definitely a a. a, a Deficit for the for the Ravens did a lot of really good things as a pulling guard, uh, tremendous run blocker. But that 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 was a consistent shortcoming we we saw in him. I've uh, I've never been the O line expert, but uh, it always seemed to me that he was a little miscast at left guard. He was what second team All American at center, played for Alabama for years and years at that position. It just seemed like his obvious position, and we had an obvious. I don't want to say talent deficit, but it was an obvious place where we could use, you know, a, a guy of the top caliber. It was surprised to me that he never really got an extended opportunity there. Yeah. So, you know, they obviously they had Metzger in the job and, and I could understand why they wouldn't be really eager to move him because I think he was doing OK. And uh, it just with shorter arms like uh, Bozeman has, it really makes sense to minimize that weakness by having that player at center who can otherwise do quite a lot for you. And I think we'll, we hopefully will see a big improvement from from Bozeman this year. And, and uh, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if he went to the Pro Bowl. That would yeah. shock me. No, it, uh, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, it'll be interesting to see what he could do at center anyway. But let's get back to the uh, passing game. Uh, well, ahead. actually, could we stick on that for just a second? Because you talked about Skura, who I thought really played a, a, a you know, a, a gutsy performance through 2018. But, but I didn't know that it made a lot of sense for him to be penciled in to automatically start week one in 2019, coming off of that total knee rebuild as he was. He that wasn't was able to do much in, tra in 2020, excuse me. Yes, yes, you're right. I'm sorry, I was a year off in there. So he, we, we started him week one at center this past season after he missed, what, all of training camp or most of training camp? 
Uh, yeah, I, I I don't recall if he played it all in the preseason. Well, there was no preseason, so right. it's just a matter of whether or not he practiced before then. I don't remember when he started practicing. No. Well, so that seemed strange, right? Like that was an opportunity for uh, uh, a player who was sounder physically in Bozeman, you know, hadn't missed any time, wasn't rebuilding his knee to uh, to, to start week one. And instead, it, it, it seemed that the Ravens assumed that Skura would do the job. And I'm not sure... You know, no knock against the guy. That's a brutal rehab, uh, you know, and hats off to him for doing it. But I don't know that he should have been option one for snap one of game one. It, it's probably true that they, they could have considered other players, but it wasn't going to be Bozeman. Bozeman had done too well at left guard in 19. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would have been McCary probably starting at center because he had started the, the, the tail end of 2019. Okay. I didn't think he played that well there. PFF actually graded him a lot higher than I did in terms of, of how well he had, had been relative to Skura. Um, but, but, you know, there are people who like him. He's a short arm player, similar to Bozeman in terms of, of having quite short arms and it was un, uh, he, the Ravens just didn't have a, a really great option to start 2020 at center is the truth of the matter and and I think they really wanted to keep Bozeman because he'd been a, a, a solid presence at left guard and they wanted to keep that position stable after Stanley got hurt I was glad that Bozeman was there next to uh, next to Orlando and and glad they hadn't moved him but um, but it did seem like a logical choice to me last year for them to at least look at him in that spot. Okay. I got to bring the conversation back a little bit. I'm getting a little reverb from your mic here in terms of oh. going on it here. So I might want to be careful, but okay. anyway, we, we've got uh, uh, here to talk about run, run pass balance tonight. And this has been a question for Greg Roman teams over the years. Obviously he's a coordinator who prides himself on building a uh, system that is very tight end centric and very run centric. It typically has been with the teams he's been in San Francisco, Buffalo and Baltimore. Uh, and, and each time there's been some similarities in the quarterback as well. Yeah. A guy who can really move, right. A guy who threatens defenses with his legs. Uh, you go back to Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Kaepernick had a gun. He could sling the football. He was perhaps not, uh, your Peyton Manning when it comes to identifying the matchup you want and going to the third read or whatever, but uh, but he could throw the ball downfield. Uh, so the so the defense had to play him honest, and then he could pick up a ton of yards, a ton of yards rushing. And then Tyrod, um, you know, the, the same capability uh, with his legs, and then you know, our man. Yeah. Uh, Lamar is a, a, a special cat here. I, I, I have a PFF guest on tomorrow that we're going to at least touch on uh, what Lamar means to this team in terms of putting a value on him because it's just he makes all the other players better as we've we've discussed before. But let's talk. I think one of the on that topic. Can do you remember when Steve Young got the monkey off his back Super Bowl win with the Niners? I think that was ninety four. Do you remember? Did you watch yes. that team play at all? Yeah, sure. That, that was a team that ran everything through its quarterback, right? Like, and I think that, you know, that, that was one of the most, the teams that were most dependent on their quarterback, not just for their passing game, but their running game also, uh, as I've ever seen. And uh, Lamar, I think it's, you know, even to an even greater degree than that. Right. I, I mean, I would agree. I think that there's other teams that are more dependent on their quarterback, like perhaps the Chiefs are. But mm-hmm. I don't think I really don't think there's any team that that derives 
more of its offensive success or owes more of its offensive success to one player than the Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. So for, let's talk about this Ravens team because, you know, everybody talks about run pass bounce. Oh, we've got to throw the ball more. We've got to get some more receivers. And they did. They went out, they got the receivers and the coaches. We mentioned the offensive line build to, to help them do that. But this is also the highest scoring offense in the entire NFL the last two seasons in terms of points. Yep. More importantly, in terms of points per drive, where they're significantly ahead of the other teams. Uh, hard, really, to find fault with what the team has accomplished offensively in the last two seasons. I agree with that. And, and uh, <laughs> uh, how polite do I have to be to this balance argument? Because it drives me up a wall. Um <laughs> Do yourself, Jim. <laughs> so we're looking at a league where, like, the league average is something like sixty percent or sixty-five, sixty-two uh, percent pass, thirty-eight percent run, and that's considered, you know, that's the average. Uh, and I have a serious problem with considering that to be balanced because it isn't balanced. I mean, it's 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 very pass heavy. And so we have Greg Roman, who is uh, tilting very close to 50-50. And, you know, I've never played defense in my life, but except maybe uh, Thanksgiving, you know, <laughs> throw it around in the backyard. But, uh, but I would imagine that if the defense has to really respect both aspects of the play call, you know, whether it's 50-50, if it's going to be run or pass, I would think that that's a bigger problem for, uh, for defenses. And I think the points per drive data that you – just showed i think that it bears that out yeah i mean it's it's really hard to find problems with this offense they obviously feel like they need to threaten more of the field and i think that's a legitimate question yes is do yes. they need to threaten outside the numbers do they need to threaten more of over top of the safeties and try and get over the top of the corners more than they do already but i think the notion that they need to specifically to run more is probably a little spurious is, is i think you mean you mean throw more the notion that they need I'm to sorry. throw more. Yes, throw more. Yes, I apologize yeah. for that. So if, if you look at runs and pass, the first thing to look at, or one of the first things people look at, is uh, expected points per play. So in terms of expected points per play, passes are better than runs. And there's people yep. who would tell you, they just look look at the statistics, they say, look at the EPA of these two things. Well, you'd, you'd be better off never, ever to pass in the NFL. And the, the, you really need to go back to an old football adage to really understand why teams do it. Teams don't win because they run. They run because they win. And it, it's the fact that fourth quarter runs are made at negative expected point expectation this is terrible that i right. trap myself yep. like that but but negative expected points um because they're being made on positive expected win basis and and right. the most the, the most extreme example is the kneel it's a it's a huge positive expected win play it's a terrible expected points play you're basically killing your drive to do it right you're losing a yard every game every every play <laughs> every snap but you're getting you know 30 seconds closer to the final buzzer so it's a positive win expectation play and a negative points expectation play there like that's so basic to the understanding of this and usually in actual world and, and probably in in your job too i'm guessing you work from an extreme example often to work back to what's a more normal situation mm -hmm. in things yep. and and you know the, the, the 
late third quarter, early fourth quarter, the same thing is happening. It's just on a slightly smaller scale. You're not taking chances on first down by passing the ball. You run almost all the time. You run a very high percentage of the time because rolling that time off the clock is quite valuable. And there's even more value in going to the going to third down a lot in those circumstances to, to try and, uh, you know, burn clock and then ultimately get a fresh set of downs that'll help you burn more. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's the way football is played. And it's why expected points models don't really work. Expected wins models are the ones that really work. Yes. And, and then I would think there's the on field aspect of it. Now you remember John Madden, the, uh, the old Raiders coach. And then he did Monday night football for many, many years. And, uh, I, you know, Probably many of us listened to him talk. So that's an old school coach in a different era of football. But one of the things that he said and wrote about was that he believed then that teams that passed too much got very passive in their offensive line play and their offensive line, you know, their O-linemen got basically beat on by defensive linemen. Mm -hmm. And he felt that it was important not so much to establish the run in an analytic sense, but to just let his offensive linemen have a chance to beat on the other guys for a change, you know, just to, just to change the physicality of that mismatch. And so that's a situation where you, you know, you might embrace a little negative expected points just to let, uh, just to give your offensive linemen a break, you know, from constantly backpedaling, constantly having to deal with Dwight Freeney putting moves on them or, or whoever the pass rusher du jour is. I, I I like Dan Deardorff's explanation of that too. He says, you know, uh, all I can tell you is I played national, you know, played offensive line in the National Football League for twelve years or whatever it was. He said, there's nothing like coming back to the huddle and just winking at the other guys in the huddle and, and just knowing you have owned that offensive line the entire day and you you can you can move it play after play you can move those defensive players and they're getting more and more desperate as the game goes on i think some of what we saw down the stretch with the ravens this last year was in particular this is true week 17 in the Bengals. that second half there weren't any Bengals fans watching but if they were they should be embarrassed that their football team was out there i mean they weren't in trying at all jermaine pratt had yacked up a lot before the game because if the ravens hadn't won it they'd have been out of the playoffs i guess or they could have been could have been they would not were not necessarily but Jermaine Pratt did he talk did he talk a lot going into that game I didn't remember that going into the game and, and had one of the worst second halves you'll ever see <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't even trying he, he got run over and uh and, and you know didn't look like he was trying to tackle at all certainly a, a very low effort performance so uh you, you know you, you really the, the Ravens offense has really worn on some teams and they are a lot bigger now than they were before so with Ben Cleveland in particular but also with Zeitler uh watch out for this team in terms of of uh, how dominant that could possibly my favorite late late season example of what you're talking about was when Aikman was calling the Cowboys game and was just getting fed up you can hear the frustration Mm -hmm. and the annoyance in his voice and oh god could we get some defenders out here and what are they even doing and um so that's yeah just handing it to them that 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 has value and you know if you're I mean, we have quotes from Alexander Villanueva, who just joined the Ravens this offseason, about how tough it was to, to, to pass block 40 snaps a game for Big Ben and how he, you know, really is looking forward to something a little more even, a little more, you know, that, that gives him a chance to compete on a little more level playing field. And I think that that speaks a lot. And that's part of why Roman calls his games the way he does. 
That's it's interesting with Villanueva too, because he's certainly known as a as a good pass blocker who's not a particularly good run blocker. His size actually gives him some trouble there, but that'll be interesting. I, it, I think also the Ravens, in terms of what they ask out of right tackle, if that's where Villanueva stays, and we certainly hope that's where he starts the season. Yeah. That means Ronnie Ronnie Stanley's healthy. But but I think Hold on, I'm going to knock on some wood here. I got a desk here, so yeah. All right, there we go. Thanks. If if you know, a lot of times they let the end go, so that's a much easier block. Uh, you know you. you is a down block on that defensive tackle to help out the guard. And then usually a half level move up to level two, try and hit a scraping linebacker. You know what the, what the Ravens ask in their regular run concepts out of the right tackle is just not all that much. And so I'm thinking Villanueva who has not been a good run blocker before has not been a good run blocker in recent years anyway, might actually do, do pretty well um, in this system. At least I hope so. Are you, uh, I think of run blocking as two different kinds of things. Uh, I'm going to say this as a statement, but this is a question. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the run blocking where your guy has to be a road grader and shove Geno Atkins like two yards downfield or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there's the road blocking where like you're trap blocking or you're getting out in space or you're sealing off a guy. It's more positional. You have to, to move your body and get to a place and then become a wall, like wall one side or the other. So one of those is much more demanding of power and strength, and the other is more demanding of, uh, of you know, technique and mobility. I would imagine that Villanova would be much better at the second one of those two and pretty weak, perhaps, at the first one of those so two. So more, more of a positional player because of his yeah. length and whatnot. Yeah, I, I think I think that's probably true. Um, and certainly as a run blocker, I would expect him to be a better positional run blocker. I've talked to some Steelers guy. They're not too happy with the amount of lunging in level two. But the mm-hmm. Ravens will, will do a better job, I think, of teaching him to keep his feet as a run blocker in level two. He's certainly got the length. And we, see, we saw how other players who are not linemen, like Miles Boykin, great run blocker downfield but the thing he does so well is to keep his feet and Villanueva with his length if he keeps his feet he'll be terrific doing that yeah Boykin is a good stalk blocker like he can run five or ten yards downfield while engaged with a safety and keep both of them moving together he's not crunching a guy he's not moving a guy who's not already moving no, that's right. He maintains a block extremely well, which is that the key to that is maintaining your feet. And absolutely, I, I, I agree in the way you've described it. It could often be a be a cornerback who's got a big size advantage on, so he knows not he doesn't have to press that into a pancake. He can he can allow it to develop normally because he can keep his feet and keep. Uh, it's also got the speed, right? So he knows that if he loses contact with the guy, the guy isn't running away from him and making the play. He knows that he can stay with him. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So I, I, I tie this back into what what do you want to see from the 2021 Ravens? So what would represent a win for you in terms of uh, run pass balance, in terms of things that they goals that they would move towards rather than any kind of absolute number? Because I don't want to try and hold you down to that. So I don't have a problem with this near 50-50 kind of thing. That, the, that, that Roman has done with the Ravens. I think that my goals for what I want to see from the offense and from Lamar. So number one, from the offense, I would like to see better pass protection, especially on the interior. And, uh, and five healthy guys all season long. <laughs> um, and I think that all by itself would go a long way. And then number two, when I look at Lamar, I think that you can't... Um, so Lamar got COVID and he missed, he was out the week of the Pittsburgh game. Mm-hmm. And, 
no one said this to me, but when I look back and I and I look at when the positive COVID test was reported versus when he was likely to be on site and be tested, it seems to me that he must have already had COVID when they played the Titans the week before the Pittsburgh game. Mm. I don't know that that's true. That's just me assuming things. Uh, so if you figure that Lamar had COVID from the Titans game, then he played something like nine or 10 games or, or the Ravens had nine or 10 games after Lamar had COVID. And we know that he had post-COVID symptoms. At the very least, he had the arm cramping famously in, in the Cleveland game. Uh, nobody said anything about this, but I wouldn't be surprised to learn that he had some limitations in practice in terms of, you know, maybe number of reps or, or how hard he could go or, or whatever. Uh, and I think it shows up in his play um, post-COVID. I think you have a guy who's playing gutsy as hell and, uh, you know, is keeping plays alive and finding guys late in the down and stuff like that. But his timing was trash. Like his, he didn't have his, his super clean, crisp footwork dropping back from center. You know, he wasn't ready to fire at the top of his drops. And, and you know, if a guy was open quick, he wasn't ready to find him. And um, this is, you know, I, this feels vaguely sacrilegious to say about the, the MVP and, and a guy who clearly carried the Ravens, you know, like a locomotive, carried them into the, you know, dragged them into the playoffs and, and into the divisional round. But he, I think it's fair to say that he was not himself, his crisp, efficient self, uh, his, his on-point timing, sharp timing self after COVID. And so when I talk about things that I want to see from the Ravens, I want to see a big, strong offensive line, especially in the interior, that can not get shoved back into Lamar's lap. And I want to see Lamar be nice and crisp with his footwork and ready to find guys at the top of his drop and be as efficient as he was in 2019. And I think that if we have those things, even without Rashad Bateman, or without Greg Roman, you know, drastically changing, you know, uh, you know, one one personnel or or throwing it sixty percent of the time. I think without any other changes, this, those two things by themselves, and we're looking at you know top two or three in the league in scoring, you know, winning twelve or thirteen games, you know, one of the top two seeds in the conference. I think we're looking at all the goals that we would wish for a season. So just those two things: Lamar being crisp and the O line being really solid. Yeah, those are obviously a healthier offensive line the entire year would be it might be number one on the Christmas list. <laughs> I messed that up. The Christmas list right now. But uh, but it's a it's a, something you always hope for. It, it, even a bad team like one you pick one of the worst teams in the National Football League. If they have a, a, a moderately able quarterback and they have no injuries the entire year, they're probably going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, because you just you you can you can hardly miss if you have that kind of injury luck. So uh, people will get hurt. You know, the Ravens will have to do what they do every year, which is rely on their depth and and uh, figure things out on the fly. But uh, I, I I do like this team. I like it a lot, and I like what uh, uh, if I had to pick what I want in terms of run pass balance, I want to see maybe a little bit more passing on first down in the mm -hmm. first half. Yep. And other than that, I, 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 you know, all of my goals are, are more notional in nature that I want to see more threatening of a wider area of the football field. I want to see some good throws to the outside and, and, and have that work. I want to see Rashad Bateman uh, be a receiver on the left side that Lamar trusts 
And and so more of his throws go to that receiver as opposed to, you know, being hesitant to throw the ball to Boykin um, a, a lot of the time. And then the other thing I really want to see that I think could help the Ravens, even though it's right in the same vein of the way they've been playing offense the last couple of years, is I want to see Bateman become the complete X factor on extended plays that I think he could be fearless over the middle of the field. He's exactly the kind of receiver who can go from left to right when Lamar is typically rolling to the right, find yep. a spot in the middle of the field as opposed to being dragged all the way to that right sideline and, and create some great extended play opportunities. Yeah, if Lamar could fire that earlier in his roll to the right rather than getting all the way you know, outside the numbers before he throws it, if he has the confidence to rip it earlier. I think, uh, you, know, you know, I'm the Boykin guy. So uh, when you bring up somebody to replace Boykin, I, uh, this I have to agree with, though. There needs to be a third option, a third receiving option on this offense that Lamar has confidence in. You know, he, he will throw it anytime, anywhere to Andrews. Uh, and Andrews, you know, he's, they're telepathic with each other. Andrews gets him. He knows where he's supposed to be. Right. Uh, Lamar has a lot of faith in, in Hollywood Brown, and that seems to be it. Um, you know, and I, I might have a lot to say about that, but, but if, if Bateman is what's needed and he seems to be, you know, Lamar likes that jittery athlete, you know, that quick twitch, that change direction, super fast, uh, Lamar is that himself. And, and if he, you know, hits a wavelength with Bateman where he, you know, he, 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 he feels like he gets him, he trusts him, he can find him, he can look for him that, you know, that would be outstanding. Right. I, 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 I kind of get the sense that with Bateman, it won't be route running. I mean, Lamar will trust Bateman to be in the right spot. What could get Bateman into trouble is if he starts tipping the football and 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 not catching it cleanly. And that creates some interceptions. Uh, Boykin got into some trouble with that. And and uh, Andrews, when happened some with hold him. on, when, when Play, playoff game on not tracking the ball uh, would be one. Against Tennessee. Was this against the Bills? Did he tip one and no, against Tennessee. the Bills? Okay. Tennessee early on, tracking the ball, moving left to right. He was it was near the right sideline. The throw was a right numbers, but he was crossing the field on a deep corner route effectively. Uh-huh. And he the ball was underthrown. But but Boykin didn't track the ball and go back and try to prevent the interception, which is Oh, I know which game you're talking. Yeah. So the, the player intercepted it almost directly on the right hash and Boykin was running away from the hash to the sideline. That's the one. That is the one. So uh I got some numbers here that I pulled about um play calling. And I uh we we didn't really kind of track on on maybe what we thought we might talk about, but uh, maybe you wouldn't mind if I threw some numbers at you? No, sure. Go ahead. All right. So I, I looked at uh, first and second down play calling by quarters. All right. So ignoring third down, obviously ignoring fourth down. And in the first quarter, the most run-heavy team in the league this past year in the first quarter on first and second down was the Patriots, 33.6% uh, passing. Then the Ravens at 39%, Minnesota, Denver, Jacksonville, New Orleans, and San Francisco. But then interestingly, in Q2, your most run-heavy team was Tennessee. The Ravens came in fifth. They actually threw more on first and second down than they ran in Q2 this past year, 51.2%, which was good for fifth after Tennessee, New England, Jets, Giants, 
You know, just, just those numbers reminded me of something I wanted to say during this show, because if you think about where Lamar's passing is holding the Ravens back, is truly holding the Ravens back, I think it's really hard to identify a specific place. I mean, we'd like to threaten more of the field just because, hey, every team would like to make every defense defend the entire field. And the Ravens have weapons that can make you really pay for that, speed weapons, if you have to do it. But in terms of, of Lamar's passing, one of the things Lamar has done very well is to be a great two-minute quarterback at yep. the half. And, and yes. that's where a lot of the second quarter numbers are going to come from because that's where a lot of the plays come from. They are, yep. are you know, eight, nine play drives right before the half. So That's exactly right. And, and I think that's reflected if you look at the 2019 loss to the Titans where the Ravens threw the ball, what, 59 or 60 times in that game? Uh, if you look at the actual breakdown of it, so, so that's pointed to often as an instance of Greg Roman losing the run-pass balance, but in the other direction, going to, going to pass happy. But if you actually break that down, in the, uh, in the first, uh, I actually have this written down, let me reference it. All right. We, uh, up until the two-minute drive at the end of the first half, we were perfectly balanced, 13 runs and 12 passes, but then we go... On that two-minute drill, a 13-play two-minute drill, all passes. So now your number is distorted there, but it's situationally completely appropriate. Then you start Q3, first drive out of the half. Again, the Ravens are perfectly balanced, seven runs and seven passes. But then Lamar loses a fumble on the first play of the next drive. And when the Ravens get the ball back, they're down 28-6 to with 19 minutes of football to play. That's going to be all passes from that point forward. And it was, yeah. So, so you know, third, 35 passes in the last 20 minutes of the game down, down three scores. But that's not, I mean, that's, that's situationally appropriate. You know, clearly we tried to be balanced, and then we had the two-minute drill, tried to be balanced again, and then, you know, the game was out of hand when you had to throw. Oftentimes you'll see Harbaugh at the podium, and he'll, he'll be asked about run-pass balance. And he's like, look, there might have been a couple plays where we, we could have we passed the ball, but we ran. But tell me where we should right. have done something different. And he gets really upset by that because the situational football really defines most of what you can do. So it's your success on, on first down, your success on second down, which gets you to the third and short and really gives you still the option to run or pass. Higher run rates – I mean, you're doing a good job of moving that football effectively on first and second down and putting yourself in a situation where you can run or pass on third down, putting your situation in a third, putting yourself in a third and four where you think you can go for it on two downs and, yep. and run for three, run for two kind of thing. Uh, it's it just I, I've seen Harbaugh get frustrated at the podium. There's only a couple things that really piss him off that much. One is any, any sort of injury question that he knows he doesn't want to answer. And, you know, that, that where he thinks that the, the person who asked, you know, knows he shouldn't have wanted to ask it. And the, and the other is run past balance questions. They just they piss him off. So uh, if you if you happen to be at camp and you're and you're there at the podium, try not to ask that question. He's uh, uh... He's very affable a lot of the times, but it's interesting after a tough loss, the, the, the reporters, you listen to their tone of voice asking him questions and, and they're well coached. Uh, you know, they're, they're addressing him in like their, their delicate, soft voice, you know, not their challenging voice. Yeah. 
Hey, it, you definitely want to not poke the bear in that situation. That's for sure. But uh, uh, he's he's polished. But uh, but there are times where he can he can get pissed off. Jim, this this is a great conversation. I love having these kind of conversations. If you're out there, you'd like to have a conversation with me about this kind of topic. Uh, please don't be hesitant. Send me a message on Twitter. We'll get you on real quickly. Jim, want to hit? Make sure we hit on anything you might have written or any kind of posts that you're involved in. You'll have a lot of great dialogue back and forth on the boards. I know. I've, I've actually been off the boards the last couple months. My mom went into the hospital and RSR had to go, the forum. So uh, uh, just from a timing perspective, but I'll probably be back on there uh, when training camp starts. I did do a guest blog on the RSR front page uh, that uh, was nice. It was about uh, what have the 2,000-yard rushers done the year after they rushed for 200 yards. So in the context of what to look for from Derrick Henry, uh, so that's maybe the most recent thing of interest that uh, that people could find. All right. Terrific. Well, uh, Jim, you're always welcome, of course. Thanks for coming on. Ken, thank you very much. This is uh, this is so much fun for me every time. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Thank you.